All right. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to another afternoon of lunch hour with Renault. Oh We're God. always having a grand old time. See that what you guys don't get to experience <laughs> is what happens before we hit record. Uh, oh and usually goodness. it is just straight up shenanigans. Um, no doubt. So that was so good. Good to be with you all. Sorry, Keith. Uh, we, we did get a bit of a late start today. It's about 13 after. We yes, usually we try to get, get started around noon. So What's up with that? Apologize for that, but 2020, we, baby. Hey, we all are, are being flexible with our lives in That's 2020. Right. Um, but man, uh, excited to jump in today. We've been walking through a worldview uh, series in uh, a lot of our small groups, missional communities, and uh, just talking through that here in this space as well. Um, just the the Right Now Media uh, worldview series, um, worldview changes everything by John Stone Street. It's just been super helpful. Uh, just to kind of get a reminder of like with all the messages that are constantly flying around and we're sitting here today, um, you know, in the wake of uh, the presidential election, still awaiting some results from that. And, uh, you know, everyone's got opinions, everyone's got thoughts all the time. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, God invites us to see the world through his eyes yep. Um, yep. and to see the world the way that he sees the yep. world. And so that's what we're talking about today. And, and it's it's extremely difficult to remember that in our time uniquely because of the amount of information that is thrown us at us yeah. in the in the um, unceasing manner that it is thrown at us, right? So, so I, I think that's one of the reasons why I've been so excited to walk through this time over these few weeks as a church just to say, hey guys, let's get a clarity of what a worldview is, why it matters, and so that we can be evaluating whether we are whether we are living our life and believing the things we believe out of a worldview that has been shaped and and affected more by the world of late or more by scripture because what we are really trying to drill down to is do we have a biblical worldview right so therefore what is a biblical worldview and how do we gain one or how do we solidify the one we have ongoingly, keep it sustained in the midst of a thousand pieces of information? What do we need to be involved in? And, and today is really exciting because I think foundationally, when we talk about a biblical worldview, the first word in that sentence kind of comes into play. A biblical, biblical worldview, what is right. biblical? And so the Bible certainly comes into play. And so as I'm sure if you have had a chance to watch this week's little video, um, or if you're going to this week, you'll see that John spends some time talking about the idea that a biblical worldview assumes supernatural revelation, that we can't have a biblical worldview without somebody externally, the creator, revealing himself to us. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we, are, we only have a world worldview because right. it's only by what we observe. Yep. But we are the recipients of supernatural revelation mm -hmm. in multiple oh, formats. I couldn't hear what you said. Who's talking? The I robot. Watch. My watch is talking. Why? Um, my point exactly. We even have our watches telling us what we're supposed to believe. So, um, so I'm really excited to jump into that, and I've really enjoyed the last couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to that. So. Yeah, and I think you know, in that um, in that conversation on on that video, he talks about you know the ways that God has revealed it Himself to us, um, and you know, first of all, he talks about creation that God has revealed Himself through creation. The Scripture actually teaches this that. Um, that everything that is created points us to the creator, that what uh, can be known about God, Romans 1 tells us, uh, you know, is, is made manifest within us and, and can be perceived through what is, what is seen. 
uh, that the invisible God has made his attributes known through what he has made. Yep. Um, and so that's a, a, a beautiful thing. And, and yet he didn't stop there. You know, it. It, would, it would be one thing if he just created everything. Yeah. And then we had to figure out who created it, but he, he right. didn't stop. Or there. if it was created or how it was created. Right. So, so I think that this is what, what makes it so fascinating. When we start talking about worldview and specifically biblical worldview and how it is established, we will and must come back to the scriptures, the Bible, because the Bible is what takes what we observe and shows us in a supernatural way what it means. Mm. So for example, if all God did was revealed himself through creation, we wouldn't know that. Yeah. We would be stuck in creation. We would see creation, the wonder of creation, but we wouldn't know that it was part of God revealing himself. So we wouldn't encounter and explore creation from a vantage point of what will we find about God. And we wouldn't even know how to explore it because we wouldn't know what it's trying to tell us about God because we wouldn't know that there was a God. So yeah, there's, there's certainly a possibility that you could come to the correct conclusion by viewing creation and yet... Okay, this is stupid. Can <laughs> take that with airplane mode that watch. Um, <laughs> Don't need it. <laughs> Don't need it. Uh, you know, there is certainly that um, possibility. But then on the on the other hand, there are so many conclusions that we could come to that would lead us in the wrong direction. Right. And so God was so gracious to us to not just leave us guessing um, at who he is and what he's up to through simply his act of creation, but he went further than that. And, and the scripture really is, um, you know, the revelation of God to humanity of who he is, what he's about, what his story is, how our part uh, works out in the story. And so God was so gracious uh, to give us uh, from Genesis to Revelation um, a, a picture and a demonstration of who he is uh, through a written word. And that's, that's right. a super valuable. And I, I think one of the things John starts with in his video that's, that's very relevant to the idea of worldview as we navigate that is that a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview uh, assumes at its very beginning two things, that there is a God yep. and that he has revealed himself. Yeah, and, so, and that he's, he's and that personal. He's personal. Like that he, there he, is a God, yeah. he's personal, yeah. and he's revealed himself. Right. If you remove any of those three, there is a God, so there's not a God, or he's not personal, or he hasn't revealed himself, then you can't have a biblical worldview. Right. You can have lots of worldviews, but not a biblical one. And right. so we, we must start with this premise. If we hold a biblical worldview, we must start with this premise. There is a God. He is personal and personally involved, and he has revealed himself. Right. Then we launch from there and say, okay, how has he revealed himself? Right. And he's revealed himself through three things, but we understand that from one of them. Mm -hmm. So he's yep. revealed himself through creation. Yep. He's revealed himself through showing up through Jesus, the person of Jesus. And that we would say is the fullness of his revelation, the greatest of his revelation, the most personal of his revelation. But we only know that because of the supernatural revelation through his word. So we only know that because we weren't eyewitnesses. That's what right. I love is, uh, you know, that the scripture, the writers of scripture, and I love this in, in uh, it's in First uh, Peter, where Peter says, um, we, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's right. Uh, we saw him. We touched him. You know, First uh, John says it this way, that we've seen him with our eyes. Yep. We've touched him with our hands. Yep. And uh, man, I just love uh, that, that God uh, didn't just leave 
um, the, the revelation of Jesus to the personal experiences of those who had the privilege of walking with him in the first century That's right. AD. That's right. Um, it would have been enough if God did that, yeah. but he was so gracious to have those eyewitnesses yeah. then write down an account for us so that we could be able to perceive and understand who Jesus is and therefore know what God is like. That's right. And so imagine now, you just think about the, the revelation of scripture that God decided to move us from the story of creation mm. to the story of the creation of the new heaven and earth. Mm. So, so that the, the entirety of time and space and created order is, is revealed, yeah. which is crazy because we weren't there, right? So we could never have known the story of creation, the story of humanity, the story of corruption, the story of redemption, the story of how redemption took place throughout the nations from the, the story of Noah, the story of the Tower of Babel, the story of the judges, the story he decided along the way to say, I'm, I'm gonna show you all of it. Now, mm. I'm not gonna give you all the details. John writes uh, in, in, <laughs> yeah. uh, when he says, if I were to record <laughs> yeah. even everything just we know. Mm -hmm. so, so think about John, John saying, if I were just to write down everything we learned in the last three years with Jesus, it would take more annuals than you would ever read in a lifetime. So we're kind of summarizing for you. And he's just talking about the, the time of Jesus. But imagine if God said, I want to explain everything to you. It's impossible. It's to infinite. Yeah. But what God does do, he says, I want to explain enough to you that you will know the totality of the story from the beginning of creation to the beginning of the creation of the new heaven and earth. What happens with the new heaven and earth, earth post its beginning is touched on, but it's almost like then there's eternity. Yeah. And we'll talk about that then. And what happened before the creation of the heavens and the earth, there is an eternity past. And God just kind of goes, I was. Yeah. That's yeah. all you need to know. Yeah. I was, but let's talk about this window. And so what that means then is that the scripture is our revelation mm. to everything that life is, right. what it means and how it is. So we should assume, if we're going to have a biblical worldview, that we understand life as we know it through what has been revealed supernaturally to us. You were gonna say something. Well, no, I mean, right along that, that, that we understand life as we know it through the revelation of scripture. And, and I love what John says, you know, you, you mentioned the very end of John, John chapter yes. 21, when yes. he says, Jesus did a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, and if I wrote everything down, there's not enough books <laughs> in all of the world to, to actually really depict everything that Jesus yep. said and everything yep. he did. So yep. this guy was pretty amazing. Yep. Um, but what I love what John says in um, John chapter 20, verse 30, about the purpose of the book that he wrote. Yep. And I think it's indicative of the purpose of what the whole scripture is about. And John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There you go. I just love that because what, what the scripture does throughout from Genesis to Revelation is it, it has written for us um, a, a picture of who God is and what his story is and what Jesus did and all of the implications of that so that we, we may believe in Jesus, so that we may have the eternal life that comes with that, but also not just eternal life like in heaven, but that here on earth we would have life in his name, meaning that we would actually be able to live the life that God intends 
humanity to live because the Holy Spirit lives in us through our faith in Jesus. And that the word reveals to us not just uh, who God is and what the story is, but also what he's inviting us That's to right. participate That's in. Right. And, and I think it, it's incredibly uh, awesome that God would uh, have bothered to put together through a sequence of things that we'll talk about throughout this hour, uh, this scripture, this Bible. And in it, it's like a giant cup of coffee with God, where he says... <laughs> you live your life in cups of I know, coffee. But, but, I love but, that. But he, sa he says this, uh, and this is what I love about the word of God is, at this cup of coffee, he gives us the whole picture. Yeah. Creation to, to the new creation. Right. right. So as we're talking and we're studying scripture, we get this giant picture of God, redemption, humanity, all that. Yeah. But within this giant picture, he's also consistently conversing with us in a way that says, here's the giant picture. You should know the meaning of life, who you are, your identity, my identity, everything, the purpose of all things, the purpose of all things. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, when you're dealing with a conflict with a friend, let me, let me, let me share some things with you. Mm -hmm. Within this broad scope of revelation mm -hmm. of the meaning of all things, there is a consistency in teaching us about today. Yeah. How am I supposed to live today? So this mm -hmm. cup of coffee isn't just about you should know all things right. that are the big picture, mm -hmm. but I will also in great detail, that's why the, the scripture says it's a living and breathing word. It's mm -hmm. not just a document of what was and what will be. Right. It is a message minute by minute to what is. And I, I, I think that that's part of why we say as a foundation to a biblical worldview, that it is a supernatural revelation. Mm -hmm. One, it is from outside the natural world, right. and it is it is living. In mm -hmm. other words, it is as much a document about the big picture as much as it is a voice, a word, a clarity for me right now, today. Yeah. Thinking about the book of Ephesians, for example, right. in our current environment in 2020, that God brings the book of Ephesians to bear that's really much about redemption in the big picture, but it's also talking to us about how we should be unified, why it matters, totally. how this works. And then it goes as far as to say, all right, husbands and wives, here's how that rolls. Uh, children and parents, is a, like, like, I mean, literally, yeah. that has hardly any bearing on the giant picture and yet all the bearing in the world because it says, if in the name of Jesus, you are now living life, then by the way, here's what that means what it looks when, like. you're, when you're living life as a husband and wife or as a friend with a friend or whatever. So. Uh, it just it just fascinates me that we have this, and what then begins to become concerning is if this supernatural clarity has been given us, because it's pretty thick, and it's a little complex, and it's not in sound bites on YouTube or Facebook. I mean, it is ancient. It's ancient. It's two thousand years right? old, right? We, Plus, we relegate it sure. to a space in our lives where yep. it either is only found to be a Sunday morning sermon we hear. Mm -hmm. Or if we evolve further than that, a, a verse with somebody's devotional attached to it mm -hmm. three to five times a day, mm -hmm. I mean a, a week, so that we can apply it to our lives mm -hmm. instead of becoming the central reality by which we find and explain all things in our mm -hmm. day and our life. And so, I think that's part of why this series is exciting to me, is it is begging us in many ways to, to ask the question, if this is that significant to both my worldview sustaining and the right worldview, the right view of truth, then ought I not to elevate my 
energy and time given to this in a giant, giant way. So what that then means is it's got, it's got to start here. Why would I choose this to be the thing that I can trust to be the truth? Yeah. Um, I, I love uh, when John in the video uh, said that the Bible in its supernatural revelation isn't true because we believe it. It's true whether we believe it or not. Mm -hmm. It is the truth. Mm. How do we know this? Mm. How can we stand to this? So it kind of begins there. And before we jump into that, because I think that is a massively important question, and culturally speaking, that is a, that is a question that's been on the table um, more so in the United States today than it has been for the last 50 to 100 yeah. years of our yeah. history, is can, can we even trust the Bible? Is the Bible supernatural? Is it authoritative? Those questions, you know, used to be assumed in our culture that yes, the answer is yes, the Bible is the word of God. And we had a cultural assumption that it had authority. We don't have that today. Sure. But before we get into that, you know, as you were talking about worldview, I was thinking about the, the, the scripture in, um, in Psalms where it said that, that your word is a lamp to my feet mm. and mm. a light to my path. And, um, you know, Jesus talks a lot about in terms of the world that we live in, in terms of like darkness and light. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Paul does as well as throughout the scripture, that theme of darkness and light and that the world is by definition, it's a, it's a world that is a dark world. Yes. Um, and that is because of sin. Mm. Um, and, and, and if you imagine living life in this dark world, but the word of God is a lamp to our feet yep. and a light to our path. And we're thinking about viewing the world. How do you view the world? Without the word of God, you're truly blind you're That's truly right. in the darkness right. and you're truly unable to view the world. If indeed this is the word of God, if indeed it is what it claims to be, then it is essential to the Christian life. Yeah. It is essential to the Christian worldview. And yet, because of the cultural perception that surrounds the scripture today, um, we have a general apathy towards it. We have a general skepticism towards it. And it causes us not to pick up the lamp and move on with life. And That's so right. kind of our goal today as we talk through Lunch Hour with Renault is um, let's get back to the recognition of the, the place of importance the Word of God has in our life. And if, if we already have that, it's always good to have a reminder. Yep. If we need, if, if, if we've been struggling, maybe this will be really yeah. helpful. And if, and if you've been in a spot where you're like, man, I, I believe by faith that the Bible is the word of God, but I just don't maybe know why I believe that. Hopefully this discussion today Absolutely. will be helpful. And, and, and our Absolutely. culture has been begging that question, can we trust the Bible? Does the Bible actually have authoritative words from the creator? And our culture has rendered a verdict. Yeah. The culture has said no, yeah. but the Christian says yes. Yeah. And, and, why? and oddly enough, oddly enough, th that's what becomes so fascinating. Then when once that verdict is rendered, that verdict then does two things. The reason we're rendering that verdict is because what we explore in creation seems to oppose it, which isn't true at all, because we're exploring creation as though that will determine whether or not this is true versus totally. exploring creation based on this truth. Totally. And then our ongoing exploration of life, meaning um, the human being, uh, uh, identity, and everything else all starts beginning to become a scope of unraveling totally. confusion yep. because we start with saying this is no longer assumed to be truth. Mm -hmm. uh, and so therefore we must now explore all things on our own in our blindness. And it, that goes, yeah. that's why a, a biblical worldview matters so much more now than perhaps totally. ever because without it, we really can't know 
as far as we understand it as Christians follow Jesus. We can't know truth. No. We can only in, in blindness. Give our best guess. Give our best guess. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you come to the Bible with a naturalistic presupposition, which says everything in creation has to be explained with a natural cause, then everything that you're going to learn about life is going to be based on that cause. And so everyone will be, the only option is to discover life based on your own uh, circumstances, yeah. your own experience. And, and this is where we get relative truth. Yeah. Your own, yeah. my truth yeah. is my truth. Your yeah. truth is your truth. There's no objective truth. Yeah. All of that starts unfolding. But for the Christian, if we, you know, and it's impossible to come to anything with a neutral presupposition, right? Totally. Um, but if we come to things with a neutral presupposition, just say, hey, listen, I don't know. Maybe, you know, one way or the other, maybe there is a creator. Maybe there's not. Maybe the Bible is his word. Maybe it's not. If you can come to things with a neutral presupposition and actually dig and do the, do the research and, and come to a, a conclusion, um, what I believe is that somebody with a neutral presupposition, if they do the research, if they, if they actually look at what the Bible is and what it, what it claims to be and how it explains the world that we live in, what I believe is that a person with a neutral presupposition would come to the conclusion definitively that the Bible is, in fact, uh, the Word of God, which explains the, the world that we live in. It reveals who God is and all of those things. The trouble is very, very few people come with neutral presuppositions. So the Christian is kind of in this odd spot because the Christian believes the Bible is the Word of God. And the skeptic looks at the Christian and says, well, you have blind faith, yep. right? And we've talked before in earlier uh, podcasts and earlier lunch hours uh, about this, this concept yep. that faith is not blind. It's, it's reason that has grown courageous. That's right. And, and actually, we would argue blind faith is perhaps one of the most dangerous forces on the planet. Yeah. Because a blind faith causes you or I to behave in ways that make no sense right. with no reason. Correct. And so if, if you can convince somebody blindly of faith, you actually, you actually manipulate and control them. Mm. And so religion as a powerful force has done that for centuries, for centuries yeah. thousands of years mm -hmm. is affecting blind faith. Yep. So we as believers in Jesus and, and, and those people that believe the word of God is true, we ought to not have a blind faith about it. We right. ought to say the reason I do is because I have studied and dug in. Now, yeah. what we can do today is skip a rock across a pond, sure. but what we can show you is there's much to study. Oh yeah. And if you do, I promise you, you would be hard pressed not to conclude reliability and supernatural uh, reality to the Word of God. Totally. So, you know, um, as, we, as we jump into that, obviously there's a number of little summary spaces, but I, I know that you are currently in a space where you're, uh, on, your ongoing education is happening. You're in, in seminary space and you're currently taking a class that we've chatted a bit about that you like, mind blown, uh, that relates some to this. So share with us a little bit at, at sort of that level, hmm. um, how this is for someone who is studious and ha has known the Bible is reliable, how you're even now layering down and getting a new appreciation for that. Just because this is a great example of why the the unending space to study this is yeah. yours oh, and mine. Yeah, so. and it's so valuable. Um, you know, growing up as a, a person who did grow up in a Christian home, I grew up in a Christian school, 
Um, I always have been around the Bible and, and have had different relationship with the Bible throughout my lifetime. Um, and for the most part have trusted it as, yeah. as the word of God. Um, and yet there's always been kind of this like in the back of my mind, you know, what if this is just not true? <laughs> you know, like what if I'm devoting my whole life to a sham? And, and if I'm being very honest with you, that is a, a, a thought that has been in my mind throughout most of my lifetime. And, um, and yet the, you know, it's interesting that the more that I study, the more that I learn, the quieter and quieter that voice has become throughout my lifetime. And this New Testament class that I'm taking is just no exception uh, to that. And, um, you know, before I, would, I took this class, I would say that a lot of what I believed about the testimony of Scripture hinges around the testimony of the disciples, um, the way that they responded to the crucifixion, yeah. uh, the way that they portrayed themselves in the Gospels, the way that, that, that they acted bef- you know, during the ministry of Jesus and then at the cross, they all scattered. Peter denied him. You know, they, all, they, all, they all left him. Uh, they're afraid uh, after the crucifixion. You know, they, they are doubting. All of these things that are happening, but then the resurrection happens and everything changes. Yeah. Then they're bold. You know, they're, they're, they're willing to be persecuted for their faith. I mean, all of these things. And it's just like, to me, you know, C.S. Lewis' line of reasoning really stands out. And it's a book that he wrote called Mere Christianity, and you should definitely read it. But um, he, he says, you know, people are willing to die uh, for what they believe. And you, and you talked about blind faith, and that's exactly what um, he is talking about. You know, because the, the, the skeptic will look and say, well, someone being willing to die for their faith is not remarkable. Muslims are willing to die for their faith. Uh, you know, uh, Christians are willing Christians to die for their faith. faith. Others are now, today, without having met, met yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you, it, it could be for a political cause. It could be for any reason. People are willing to die for things they yeah. care about. When blind faith is in play, you can become convinced of anything, right? Of course. But these um, guys. So, so the interesting thing, yeah, the interesting thing is that um, when the disciples uh, saw the resurrected Jesus, um, their life completely turned. They were willing to be persecuted. They were willing to die. Many of them did die, um, not for something that they believed to be true, um, but for something that if it was not true, then they were the ones who were culpable. They were they were the ones who made it not, not true. true. And That's they right. were the ones that In were... In the historical context, <clears throat> the people that had every reason to make Jesus resurrected was them Only and them. the followers of Jesus. And it was a small pocket at that time, right? Nobody within the nation of Israel, the Jewish religious leaders, they had they they had high motivation to keep Jesus in the tomb. That's right. Romans Rome, had high motivation. High motivation and to keep Jesus in the tomb. we know this because of the way that they handled the resurrection, I mean, the, the burial. 100%. And what's interesting is, um, you know, the, the disciples, they're the only ones who had any reason to want the tomb to be empty but they were powerless to make it so. And let's imagine that they found a way to make it so. They so stole if, the body. If they stole the body, and what's they interesting would is they know the truth. And what's interesting is yeah, you, you know, you see the gospel, how the gospels unfold, is that is the lie that the Jewish religious leaders upon the resurrection spread throughout the community is that the, the disciples stole the body. Well, let's assume that they did. And and Modern scholarship looks at that as very much so not credible. <laughs> it's not a credible thing because of the way that the disciples uh, responded in being willing to be persecuted and, and dying for something that if it were not true, it would be something that they would know is a lie. 
So for me, the scripture for the last... That's one thing to have blind faith. You think it's true. Yeah. It's another thing to know that it's not true and give your life. So what C.S. Lewis would say is, no one's willing to give their life for something they know not to be they true. They know is a lie. People are willing to give their life for things they think are true. Right. In the disciples' case, they either knew it to be true mm -hmm. or they knew it not to be. And so by the way they lived, we know that what they saw and knew was true. So you've always based, uh, as have I, a primary piece of why I believe this is reliable on the life yep. in response of the immediacy of the disciples. And that is the tip of the iceberg. That's the tip of the iceberg. And, and that's why what Erno was saying before is that like, hey, studying this is like our invitation. And I think a lot of times we just relegate this book to this like really big thing that might, you know, but the more we learn about it, the more compelling the story becomes. And um, and the more that we learn about it, the more it transforms our life and, and all of these things. And so for me, as I've been uh, learning more about this is that, uh, that is remarkable is that not only were the disciples, those 11 guys, my 12, you know, was Judas and he's a bad guy. So we, we don't, we don't count him, but those other disciples, but uh, you also have, oh, James, the half brother of Jesus, who ends up being killed by Herod. Uh, James uh, is not a believer before the crucifixion and not a believer before the resurrection. He's, he's Mary and Joseph's son and then he becomes a believer who's willing to die for his faith. Then you have all of these other witnesses that Jesus appeared to, 500 uh, witnesses that Jesus appeared to alive. Every theory, whether it's the disciples stole the body, people were hallucinating, you know, all these things just absolutely crumble at the, at the testimony of those early followers of Jesus. And if even that were it, it would be enough. But then you go a little farther and you, and you learn that like Pliny, who is one of the, one of the governors in, in Judea, yep. years after the resurrection, he's writing to one of the emperors and, uh, and he says, hey, I, I'm not sure what to do with these people because um, they are absolutely convinced that Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, has been resurrected from the dead and I don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Um, and, and this is not a Christian who's writing these things. You know, you look at Josephus, who was a, a, a Jew. He was a, um, a, a military commander during the Jewish revolt against Rome. And he ends up flipping over to Rome and becomes a, uh, the, the Jewish historian for, uh, for the, the, the Roman emperor. And... Uh, he is witnessing the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Um, he knows probably more about Jewish culture than anyone else for the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. And he's writing about Christians and he's writing about who they are and what they believe. And he's writing about Jesus. And he's talking about Jesus being a miracle worker. Yep. He's talking about uh, you know, these Christians who believed him to be the son of God, believed him to be the Messiah and, and believed him to be resurrected from the dead. And so there's the, the, the power of the testimony of those early first century, both Christians and non-Christians. That's the interesting yeah. thing is that the, the testimony of non-believing people looking in on the community of followers of Jesus. I mean, the things that are written about, uh, about these people are so compelling. And, and when you think about ancient documents, ancient culture, we have so little evidence of so much of what we know about 
ancient culture. Alexander the Great, we have a, a handful of documents yep. that are centuries removed from his life that we base everything we know about Alexander yep. the Great upon. Yep. Jesus of Nazareth, we have a, 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 an embarrassment of riches of so, evidence I mean, listen, of who he is and what he listen did. Listen to this, to, to this point, right? Um, Vodi, who is a pastor. Yeah, Vodi Bakum. Um, he, um, he speaks to this quite a bit. Yeah. And he has a definition that he uses for the reliability of So why he trusts the Bible. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's, here's what it is. And you can get this online. He has a PDF on this. It's really great. And again, this is the rock across the pond that as you dig into each of these areas, you will be blown away by yeah. what you find. But listen to this. I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of, of other, other eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses yep. reporting supernatural events yep. that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies yep. that claim their writings are divine and not mm. of human origin. Yeah. So he covers these, these layers and each of those layers matter because they connect to each other. What he's saying is, if you write about supernatural things and there's no eyewitnesses, you're the only, I was in a forest right. and there was a, an angel yep. And he said these things to me. Yep. I've got to trust that you weren't uh, high on something. Right, right, Didn't right. hallucinate right. or aren't crazy. Which is a big leap. Big leap, right. giant leap. But what he's saying is people that saw things wrote about this mm -hmm. at exactly the same time that other people who were there saw the same things and authenticated what they wrote, yep. didn't argue about it in all of both uh, Christian and non-Christian writings, right? Yeah. And, and he's saying this was written uh, in a way that today we have historical documents. So as, as Joel was saying, over 23,000 archaeological digs have corroborated the biblical record without one disproving find. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's insane yeah. what we have. Um, and so the what, what what begins to happen is if we are suggesting that this is a supernatural revelation of God, which then, if it is, explains life, both in the big picture of human history as well as my life, then it, it ought to be an important thing for us that we take the time to dig in and, and not just to listen to a quick podcast, but to dig in to say, how can I know that this is reliable so my faith in its reliability isn't blind? Mm. So you can read things like the PDF that Vodi put out because mm -hmm. it's very helpful to kind of go through quickly and go, oh, th those are the big, the big rocks. We did a little series called Flourish recently yeah. that in there, one of our entire things is on the reliability can I trust of scripture. The but, 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 but we need to use that as a springboard to say, okay, okay, uh, wow, let me go dig and see how true this is. What I love too is that all of these things that we've for the last 2000 years and the Bible has just had the most incredible amount of scholarly scrutiny upon it from the content of what is said to the actual like manuscripts and whether or not those are reliable, um, you know, to the, the origins, where they came from. I mean, there is an amazing amount of work um, that has gone into this and it has held up remarkably to scrutiny. But what I love even more than all of those kinds of things is what the Bible actually says about itself so that as we look back on it, it, it does actually um, help us understand that, that these guys weren't just flippantly writing down whatever they came to their mind, um, but, but that, they, that they were very careful to and very intentional to write uh, what 
actually transpired in the life of Jesus. Inspired um, by the supernatural divine reality of the, of the Holy and Spirit. So the, the word itself claims to be divine 100%. In, in every space. So you can't even say, we're making something of it that it's not. It's like, right. no, no, it, it, it's it claims to be it divine for be sure. Divine. So Luke says this, and I love this. He says in the beginning of his gospel, and he, he says something pretty similar in the book of Acts because uh, we believe Luke uh, wrote Acts as well. But he says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So this is Luke. This is his gospel. He's talking about the life of Jesus. Um, many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So some other people have already written this stuff down. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, there's a key, and ministers of the word, there's another key in that, that um, ministers of the word in Greek, it's, it's actually more like stewards of the word of God, yep. Yep. Keepers, keepers of the word of, keepers the word of, of the God. Word. Yep. Luke probably wrote this gospel um, in the late first century, you know, mid, mid to late first century. Um, so, so certainly, uh, you know, a couple of decades after Jesus uh, had come, lived, died, and resurrected, um, but, uh, but definitely still in the, in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Um, a couple and, of decades. A couple of centuries. decades, not centuries. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Alexander the Great, centuries. Yeah. Yeah. Luke? Yeah. Luke, a few decades, decades after all this, he's yeah. writing this down. He's it, still alive. Yeah. He's... And if you think about, well, and we'll get to the rest of what Luke says, but if you think about the way that Luke went about writing his, his stuff, this isn't like you can't FaceTime your friend. You can't make a phone call. You can't shoot a text message. This guy is like getting on ships, going around the ancient world and interviewing people. Like this is what he's doing. So it takes decades, it takes time. So, but, but he says, uh, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and stewards or ministers of the word of God have delivered them to us. So these are, this is a historical account based on eyewitnesses that have given him this information. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. So he's saying, this has taken me a while to write an orderly account. This is a really important thing because in Matthew, Mark, and John, uh, the way Matthew and Mark are, are uh, other gospels that are more connected to Luke. John is written quite a bit later uh, because John was one of the youngest disciples and uh, he wanted to write um, a gospel that had a little bit of a different emphasis later in life from, from Ephesus. So Luke is writing around the same time Mark and then Matthew was written. Both of those were probably already written by this time. And Luke is saying that I've been following these closely for some time past, and I'm writing an orderly account for you, most ex excellent Theophilus. So I, I want to make sure that all the details are here. He uses Mark's gospel. He uses Matthew's gospel as sources. He uses eyewitness accounts as sources. And he compiles a narrative that is orderly. That's why the book of Luke uh, has the birth story so uh, full, a lot of reasons. Um, but it's a very chronologically based, uh, very clear gospel. And Luke's gospel is written for Gentiles who don't understand sure. Judaism. And he's saying, I'm, I'm writing an orderly account for you. And I love this. It's similar to what John said, verse four, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Yep. I love that. Not that you would have a leap of faith, yep. not that you would have blind faith, Yep. Not that you would have a hope and a prayer, but that you yep. would have certainty. And, and I think this comes Love down that. to now why the scripture then becomes such a 
non-negotiable part of uh, establishing and sustaining a biblical worldview is that it is oh, is not, that what we're talking about? Yeah, it is not. <laughs> no, I was just no, pumped about this. Yeah, I know, but, 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 but here's the thing, though. To that exact point, it says, your study of the word is not supposed to create a leaping place for faith. Right. It's actually what creates the certainty for what you've been taught for, for faith. For so, the faith, yeah. For the faith. Absolutely. So, so uh, what I love is Theophilus was also an eyewitness, obviously, because he was living at that time, right? Yeah. In other words, not, he, not, an, eyewitness not an eyewitness of the life of, of Jesus. Of the life but, of Jesus, but meaning he is in the same time zone yep. as all these events. More, been, more of an eyewitness than you and I. That's right. right. He's been taught things. He's heard things from people. Mm -hmm. He's studied things. And Luke is saying, to take what you've learned that you're now becoming convinced of, I want to write something down that produces certainty. certainty. Like, I love it. <laughs> and, and what I love is that God's intent of giving us revelation is not to produce confusion or uncertainty or even that the revelation is to produce faith. He's saying, you have faith, and the revelation is to bring about the, 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 uh, the evidence yep. for your faith, not to be blind, but to be, but to be a faith of be based certain. on certain. That's beautiful. So, <laughs> so good. what that then means for us is that in this discussion of having a biblical worldview, if we are going to be a people that say we follow Jesus and we hold a biblical worldview, but we are going to spend the majority of our energy and time extracting our information from everything but the Bible, we should not be surprised when our worldview we discover later on isn't a biblical one. Right. So uh, in our cultural context, we have to understand that the culture is coming at this this way. Let's see what we discover about humanity based on what we think, feel, experience, observe. Your truth. Then my truth and yours. Then let's go see if this Bible thing Matches. aligns with it. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, then it gives us reason to reject this Bible thing. Yeah. Because it can't possibly know. Which is horrible Because logic. we know, because we feel. So we, we would not as Christians say, we don't do that. But the truth is, we're wrestling with really big human things right now. Of what's, what's good and what's not good for the human race. Uh, all these things of our identity and who we are. And what we're constantly wrestling with is, I don't know that God could say that or mean that or do that for either my personal life or those around me. And what we have to do is say, this is a supernatural revelation mm -hmm. given for clarity to be certain about things mm -hmm. that deal with both the big picture of human story as well as the details. And we ought to study it enough with enough depth to be able to say we, we know what it says and we know why. This is why being in the Word of God, not just reading it but studying it, is and should be a non-negotiable for the person who wants to follow Jesus and say, I have a biblical worldview. You know, um, Peter does a really good job of, of really encapsulating exactly what you just said, which I know was not his intention. But uh, I'm glad Peter is getting this <laughs> thanks, right. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know. Should have been there and said it first. <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> but what Peter says, you know, because, because, what we talked about a lot was specifically the Gospels, why those are re reliable documents. But then there are, it doesn't stop yeah. there, okay. right? Luke also wrote Acts, which, which records much of the life of the apostolic age, the first century, uh, everything till about 62 AD when Peter and Paul are both killed in Rome. Um, and then there's some more that's written. John, probably the youngest disciple, 
um, is writing first, second, third John. And this Old Testament stuff um, that's reliable, that's unbelievable. So yeah. But as far as what's being written, and then the book of Revelation is written, and, and so we have um, these letters or these the, these uh, epistles that are being written after the Gospels, after the book of Acts, to kind of help Christians figure out life in light of the Gospel, yep. in light of who Jesus is. And and really, this whole thing from Genesis to Revelation, as you were talking about before, it it, it applies to our life today. And and in the New Testament, in these epistles, they say some really interesting things about themselves, about Scripture, about these letters being Scripture. And I want to I want to talk about that. But then, why it's important that we believe the Scripture because it's going to affect how we do that's our right. life. That's right. So here's what Peter says. He says, Second um, Peter three. Verse 14, um, he's been talking about the promise. So verse 13, he says, but according to these promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So you talked about, it starts in the garden in Genesis. It brings us to Revelation, which is the new heavens and the new earth. Peter alludes to that in, in 2 Peter. And then he says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, you're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. That's where we're at right now in history. You know, theologians call it the already not yet. Jesus has already come. But he's not yet returned. And so we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, So since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Jesus without spot or blemish and at peace. Well, how do you do that? Uh, And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you in according, uh, wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. So here's Peter. A contemporary of Paul, he's probably in Rome at this time. Paul is probably in Rome at this time. And Peter's writing to to the church and he's saying, Paul's also writing things according to the wisdom that God has given him. And I want you to pay attention to those things. Uh, Why? He says, and I love this. This is just so candid and funny. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. And we've been preaching through Paul for the a while. Apostle Peter is like, I read Paul's writings like Romans and it's complex. Yeah, it's heavy, guys. It's heavy, guys. <laughs> good luck on that. It's I heavy. love that. It's so good. It's so good. But he says, so there are some things in them which are hard to understand. And, and we know that we need this Holy Spirit yeah. to enlighten us to the word of God. But he said, there's some, some things that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. So he's talking about people use the word of God, those who are ignorant and unstable, they twist the word of God and it destroys them. But then he says this, as they do the other scriptures. So here's Peter writing to the church saying, hey, remember what Paul wrote? You know, we're here, we're waiting for Jesus' return. While we're waiting, let's become more like Jesus. And how do we do that? Let's be, uh, you know, in the word of God. Hey, remember Paul's writings? Those are scripture. And, uh, and he, he says, so, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now Mm -hmm. and to the day of eternity. Amen. So in this time when we're waiting for the return of Christ, this is what provides the view of the world that we need. It is the scripture. It's It's from Genesis to Revelation, all of these reliable historical documents that were written that claim supernatural divine authority in our lives that show us what the world is all about. And so what this then does 
is as we solidify our clarity of God's revelation through His Word that then also reveals creation and what it is and also reveals Jesus as He was so that we now have those two clarities as well. That gives us space then to do a couple of things. One, we should not assume that the Scripture is something to be applied to our life as a side note. Right. We should assume that Scripture is something that explains everything about our life mm. and explains things we don't even understand. So mm. I... I I should enter scripture to say you're really showing important. me what I need to know. Yeah. You're not I'm not applying neat little nuggets. I, I love Yancy that says uh, most of us use the scripture like little moral McNuggets. <laughs> like we pull little things like oh, that's the better way. Right. But it's actually like saying this is actually what's true. Mm -hmm. So even when it doesn't make sense to you that I'm telling you something you should know this to be more true than whatever you're thinking or feeling feels or looks to be true. Yeah, because if we're looking for just some warm fuzzies, we can find those That's in the scripture. No doubt. So, but the scripture is not just warm fuzzies. No, it's the scripture is teaching us life. Yeah. So one, we should we should enter it with that urgency and that uh, and elevate it to that level. It is what I must know to know life. Mm. So I must study it. Two, we should enter scripture knowing that if this is God's supernatural revelation then there will be things about life that I won't fully understand why God is telling me to do something or not to do something that I feel like seems to be not, not a, thing, a big deal. Right. Whether it's a moral reality or something to understand or something about the past or the future or something about creation. But what I ought to do is not say, since what I'm observing seems mm. to be different than what God is saying is true, maybe God is wrong. Mm. I should go, probably I'm wrong. Mm. But the reason I don't think I'm wrong is because I feel and experience and observe this right now. And this was a long, and I'm like, either this is supernatural revelation. So what I try to do is I try to remind myself, I'm a three-year-old, God is an adult. Right. And when he says things, sometimes I just gotta go, I don't understand why that is what it is, but he did say it directly and specifically. So I'm gonna live my life according to it, even though observably, I may actually not even be sure that it's helpful. Yeah, I love that. Even in that verse that we just read, Peter said, some of it is hard to understand. But, and, 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 and that's, I don't think he's saying that in like a fatalistic way, like we'll never understand it. No. I think what he's saying is that like, this is a pretty big book. It takes us some time to digest. The more you understand the Bible, when you read it, the more you understand yeah. it, right? But that takes time. It takes study. And the more the Bible becomes a clarity and reliability for me, the more the few things in it that are beyond me that I just have to trust that God knows more are easy to trust because the whole is reliable. In other words, it's not that there's nothing in Scripture that is mysterious. There's lots that's mysterious. And that everything in Scripture we can absolutely understand. We can't understand everything in Scripture because some of it is literally describing things beyond us or telling us things we would observably not necessarily... Or we could maybe understand them partially. partially like Paul fully. says... Right now, we know in part. Yep, One right. day, we'll know fully. That's right. right. So one, I, I need to approach this and realize it's not what I apply to my life. It's what explains my life. That is so, so important. I need to study it. Now, as it explains your life, right, it also informs your life. That's right. What application actually is, is as this is explained, I then live that way. Right. Right. Then I need to trust it over what I feel, observe, and think. Mm -hmm. And so I need to constantly measure that way. And then finally, it, it means that uh, I, if I want to live a life in our cultural context with the amount of information accessible to us, and I want to have a biblical worldview, which is what this whole discussion is about, then I ought to be spending 
as much or more time exploring, studying, and engaging in what this says as I do in what all the articles, realities, uh, podcasts, uh, Facebook posts, YouTube say. So if I'm using those platforms to learn more about this, Great, that's sure, fine. Yeah. If I'm listening to podcasts on the reliability of Scripture, I'm digging into the book of Ephesians through uh, posts that I'm re- I'm reading Scripture through social media. Great. I'm not saying if you spend more time on your phone than the Bible. It's what are you extracting your information from? And then when, when we recognize that we're talking about worldview yep. and we're talking about the Bible being key to worldview and that we want a biblical worldview, then we have to recognize the invitation for us then now is if we then see life through the lens of the scripture, if we have a biblical worldview, then when we read those articles, when we listen to those podcasts, when we see the Facebook posts or watch the YouTube videos, now we're evaluating not on what does my experience tell me about this or how do I feel about this? We're evaluating, but well, what does the Bible say actually right. about these and, things? And, and now what happens is instead of my worldview being shaped by what I'm learning outside of scripture, I am allowing my biblical worldview to shape how I understand what I'm learning. That sounds so valuable. That then- Maybe we should do a series about it. Maybe we should it. do that. <laughs> that then means I'm now free to read many things and study many things that are not directly because I have a worldview that will measure truth. Right. And that's what we're getting at. So, I And he's, I'm, by the way, he's not talking about now I'm free to like explore Buddhism and, and you know, no. whatever. He's not saying that. What he's saying is when I read an article on a news platform, yeah. I can ask the question, what does scripture say about that's this? A, that's yeah. right. So with all that said, because I, I know our time is up. Is it? Um, it is. It's 12 something. Man, already. this yeah, went one, really one fast. Six, <laughs> so um, at the end of the day, this is what it boils down to. And I think this is what John is moving us through. We want to recognize that having a world, we all have a worldview, mm. that it's important to have a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. and that a biblical worldview assumes three primary things as a starting point. Mm-hmm. There is a creator, yep. he is personal, and he has revealed himself. Yep. And the biblical worldview is established through the clarity of what he has revealed. Right. So he has revealed himself through his word, creation, and Jesus. Yep. So we need clarity. We need to study creation through what we know of God and know Jesus' life how, because we weren't there. The word right. comes. So our primary format to understand creation and know Jesus is the word of God, though Jesus is the fullness of the expression of mm. revelation. So I need to study this. Then I can explore creation. And when I study the development of the brain from a trauma standpoint, it blows my mind what God has done mm-hmm. because I already know this. Right. So I'm studying science yep. through truth and now science actually becomes a greater expression of truth. Mm. And so, so we, yeah, we, so we, we do that. So that's what we want to do. Mm. So start here. If you don't know why you th- know that the Bible is reliable, if you, know, if you think it is, but you don't know why, that's a good starting point. Yeah. Start digging into that. If you already have good foundation in that, dig deeper. It's always helpful. Mm. And then as you are clear on its reliability, or if you already believe that, then actually start spending more time than ever studying, mm. reading, digging into the Word of God, using the incredible technology we have where information is accessible and use it to engage in information that will teach you more of God's word. And then when you engage in information that isn't doing that, you will know how to bring God's word to that. And then, and then shape your life according to what you learn 
And that's what we mean by applying the Word of God. Mm. I, I let the Word of God explain it, and then I do it. Mm. And there it is. So, there it is. worldview, biblical. Let's jump. Let's, let's go do that, right? Guys, it's been great to be with you guys this week. I'm looking forward to next week as we continue to explore worldview and its implications and how to navigate worldview within other worldviews. Um, but this week, as we continue in this world with a million things going on, uh, our best bet is always to bring the gospel and the revelation of Scripture to bear on our trying to understand the ongoings of our world and our life. So study the Word. Be in it. Thanks, Joel, for being here. I love it. All right, we'll love see you guys, guys soon.